to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and joining me on Predictions Week to analyze the most nerdy of all nerdy analytics predictions. Tage Seth, Sumer Sports, formerly a uh, PFF intern, has participated in the Big Data Bowl. Uh, one of the smartest people I know. What is going on, Tage? How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the kind words and, and really glad to be back here. You know, always enjoy talking to you on Twitter, talking to you on, on this show. So I'm, I'm very pumped for what we're going to talk about today. Well, what we're going to talk about is I wrote down a bunch of things that I think analytics people think about the 2023 season. So I don't know this for sure. These are not analytics articles that I've read or anything else. This is my intuitive feel for having been, uh, I guess, immersed in the analytics football world enough to have an idea of what regressions uh, I, I think that analytics people might think and, and what predictions, what type of predictions the numbers would point us toward in 2023 as it uh, regards to both the Vikings and around the NFL. So I made an entire list and I sent it to you. And uh, I love that you didn't like tell me. So we, I don't know if you think these are right or if you think that these are wrong and analytics people would think I'm a complete dope. So why don't we start out with the Vikings and what the analytics say about them? And I, and I just got a message from a listener this morning that was asking about uh, the one score games. And, and I think that's a, a really good place to start because when you win all of your one score games, I think that uh, football fans intuitively understand what happened last year and how rare that is because they've never seen it before in their entire lives uh, watching the Vikings. But how can we use the numbers as a guidepost to figure out exactly what that predicts about two different seasons last year and then this year? So, yeah, I mean, something that I think you do really well uh, for someone who, who covers like a team and has to hone in so specifically on the Vikings is really get like a good understanding of the league and also the the analytical uh, things that, that people are working on. And so, you know, I'm sure Vikings fans are, are tired of hearing about this by now, but point differential was like something that's really big in our analytical metrics that we look at when projecting future performance of a team. Um, and like the Vikings point differential last year was about league average when you look at it. And you can even turn that into this formula that we have called Pythagorean win percentage that was really popular in baseball to project future performance that now we can use to project future performance in football. And so what that kind of does is it takes points scored and points against, and it has an exponent that it it uses to put this uh, this projection together. So the Vikings had a, about a 50% Pythagorean win percentage last year, meaning that they were around a 500 team when looking at their points scored and points against. They ended up winning, you know, 70, 78, 79% of their games. So we can definitely expect some regression there as well. And we know that Pythagorean win percentage predicts future performance better than actual win performance um, by, by a little bit better. And then when you look at their win total on top of that, the the betting markets aren't seeing the Vikings having the, the same record as last year as well. Like they, they have them as an eight and a half win total juice to the over. So about nine wins is what the betting market is expecting from the Vikings. So you can see the regression from both standpoints there. 
I think this is kind of a situation where everybody is looking at the same thing. But let me throw this out there to you. When you have Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, you will play in one-score games nonstop all the time. And I remember reading about something that really uh, changed the way I view stuff. Is There was a study, I don't know, a, a long time ago about flipping coins. And uh, the 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 people had uh, someone pretend to flip a coin in their mind, just say heads, tails, and whatever. And then they had someone actually do it. And the difference between the two, because of course we all know it will come out to 50%, is that the person who was doing it in their mind would go heads, heads, tails, tails, like that. But there were times when the person who was doing it for real got heads like 40 times in a row, which seems impossible. But for the Vikings, and they had the poor year by the one score games in 2021. It's such a small sample that I'm not saying that you're uh, in the analytics. People are wrong expecting regression with these one score games. But it is a small sample. I, I don't think it's something like, oh, well, they did it last year. So it's absolutely impossible that with Justin Jefferson and the offense they have and the quarterback that they have, that they could continue to do that. I don't think that it guarantees that they will just automatically, like the forces of nature, swoop in from the heavens and say, no, the analytics demand that you don't win those one score games anymore. I don't know if it's exactly like a thing that we could say for sure year to year will change just because of of what happened last season yes i'm i'm with you i i don't think yeah it's a, a certainty that they will regress in in one score games or their record in general and i think a good example of this is the pittsburgh steelers from 2020 to 2021 they started off 8-0 and in, in 2020 they won a lot of their one score games throughout that whole season and a lot of people wanted to fade them, especially at the beginning of the season in 2021 because of that. But week one, they come out and they upset the Bills and put together a pretty good season where they end up making the playoffs. So usually in football, things are in the middle of the two extreme sides of them. So the one extreme is that the Vikings lose all their all their one-score games this year. And then the, the other side of it is similar to last year where they end up winning most of them. And you could probably see that coming to, to to a middle standpoint there as well. But, I mean, if you look at, like, what the Vikings have had it, added on offense, where you're, you get a full offseason of knowing that TJ Hawkinson is in your offense for Kevin O'Connell drop plays, you draft Jordan Addison, who we know was really good in college two years ago when he won the Blintikoff Award. And so, like, you can see that there are ways that the Vikings are trying to kind of make sure that they don't have that regression of – what we usually see from teams when they just run back the same roster from the year before when they had a good record. I, I'd love uh, you to sort of explain what numbers say about Cousins and, and what happened last year, because there's such a conflict there between when you look at his QBR, his PFF grade, his quarterback rating, his yards per attempt, none of them are impressive, even in comparison to his previous numbers. And you could say, well, he was winning and there was garbage time. But the funny thing about last year is he actually threw way more passes when they were losing than when they were winning, <laughs> which is which is totally unexpected for a team that had 13 wins. But I think it was over 300 passes when they were behind and like 180 when they were ahead. So he still was in these situations to rack up a lot of yards, which he he did 
Uh, now we, we have a joke that Kirk Cousins is in the in the middle of every chart, uh, which is funny because it's always like Mahomes at the top, and we'll get to Justin Fields at the bottom, and then uh, Kirk Cousins in the middle. But what do you make of trying to use his last year's performance to predict what's going to happen with him this year? Like, would it be a a more comfort in the system type of situation where he can get back to some of those numbers that he had before? That there won't be that um, you know adjustment period for him. Or is it somewhat of a sign? Because I think if we just looked at, at it on paper, didn't see the 13 wins, we would have said, uh-oh, Kirky's getting old, I think, uh, because there are a lot of quarterbacks of his ilk in their mid-30s that start to drift off. So how do you view that? Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up a really interesting point with the garbage time. He ranked 19th in expected points added per play last year uh, in, in all situations, including, including every single play. But then when you filter out garbage time, when you remove it, when – it's below 10% win probability, above 90th percent win probability. He moves up to 14th, actually. So we can see that actually the, the garbage time argument that I think a lot of people uh, were, were giving him last year wasn't true. And like what I think is really interesting is his EPA per play rose after the TJ Hawkinson trade because we saw how important Hawkinson was on third downs for the Vikings last year and making sure that Justin Jefferson can run deeper routes because Hawkinson can take the intermediate area of the field. So I think throughout the season, Kirk Cousins actually did play better at the end of the season than in the beginning. So I can see, and now that they've added both Hawkinson and Addison, his production get better this year, even though his quarterback performance might stay the same. We can see his counting statistics have a slight uptick because of what they added on offense. Yeah, and I tend to think that Kirk is just always Kirk no matter what. And uh, even in the Netflix series about you know, the quarterbacks with him and Mahomes and Marcus Mariota, he you know, was talking about the primetime games or whatever. And I, I remember looking into this a couple of years ago about Kirk and the primetime games. And it just it really turned out that they had played a bunch of really good teams, mm -hmm. which they lost to, which is sort of an excuse, but also the truth about Kirk Cousins. When they play really good teams, that's what usually happens is that they don't – often uh, win those games. So uh, there's this uh, constant conundrum uh, with Cousins. But I, I wonder what you think about how different um, we can it might be when we try to factor things that we don't know. Like the running back situation is quite a bit different without Delvin Cook. That's something mm -hmm. that we've been able to predict going into every year. And then Jordan Addison. Um, I, we've had sort of a discussion about whether K.J. Osborne or Jordan Addison will have more catches. Rookie receivers have had a lot of success recently. I think that these teams that waited until the end of the first round uh, or the teams that drafted running backs and passed on receivers early in the draft are probably going to regret it. But as much as there is this, like, oh, he's got the system, he's got Hawkinson, there's also these questions about the offense that we haven't really had in the Kirk Cousins era. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and I'm with you. And I, I think that there's like, that's what makes it so tough is there's a lot of things that are hard to predict. Like Kirk Cousins will be 35 when the, the season starts, and that's usually getting towards the age. And quarterbacks are playing longer and, and more effective later into their career now, but that's usually the age when you know you start to see see some decline in, in quarterback play and you know a combination of, of some other things like how, how his health will be and, and how the offensive line holds up. Like There's a lot of unpredictable factors that I think like increases his range of outcomes this year and, and really widens it relative to what, um, what what you usually expect from Kirk Cousins coming into the season. And then I really like how you brought up uh, Madison being the, the sole running back there right now instead of Cook, because even though Cook necessarily wasn't as effective last year as we usually saw him, 
he still had the the name and the the commitment to the running game i thought brought defenders into the box to make it easier for the vikings to pass and so when you kind of go away from having a big name running back and a running back that defensive coordinators respect, you st- might start to see one less box defender every couple plays because they know that they don't have to respect the run game as much. So I think that might be a factor there as well in, in Kirk's performance. Yeah, what's interesting about that last year is we saw a midseason sea change when it came to how defenses played against the Vikings. And Kevin O'Connell brought this up at the Combine, where in the first half of the season, there was kind of the usual approach to teams bringing up people into the box to try to stop the run and stop Delvin Cook. And then it just completely switched after Justin Jefferson had like six unbelievable games in a row. And uh, I think O'Connell said that their in-house analytics had more teams playing sort of umbrella or, you know, deep, uh, too deep coverages against them in the second half, uh, which is kind of interesting because Cook wasn't able to take advantage as much. So I, I do wonder about that with Madison, if he will have a very advantageous situation, knowing that Justin Jefferson is going to get uh, all of that attention. But I think that there are some things. There's also the offensive line that, you know, is together, all five of them. Mm-hmm. And this is something that people have looked at, that continuity in the offensive line is tangible. Like, we could say that um, it often does matter. But let me ask you about the defensive side, because a lot of times with predicting defense, analytics people will be like, I don't know, <laughs> because defense is it's so weird and it has a lot to do with the schedule and the Vikings play a bunch of uh, difficult teams on the schedule. I would I would guess that uh, the numbers would point to considering all the talent the Vikings lost them having a bad defense this year. But I don't want to guarantee that because I think they have a better defensive coordinator. And actually, sometimes when younger players come in, they are faster than the older guys whose uh, whose names that we know. And so it's like, oh, we thought that it was going to be really hard to replace this linebacker, but actually he was just getting old and the younger guy is going to be more effective. That's not me uh, debating that the Vikings will have a top five defense or something. I just think that this, this one has the potential to be better by I don't, I don't want to say leaps and bounds but like enough versus what they saw last year with that Donatell in charge mm-hmm. yes and and I, I could definitely agree with that I think the most interesting thing about the Vikings defense this year is how Brian Flores is going to use this personnel into the system that we saw him run in Miami so well where it's it's a very different personnel to, to work with that that he's going to have in Minnesota um, so I'm very curious to see how, how that ends up working out and I think that's like the first thing that really gives the Vikings like a pretty high variance of outcomes on defense is a defensive coordinator change and a, and a system change but the other thing is we just don't know much about their secondary right now. Like between between Blackman and Lewis Seen and all these all, Andrew Booth Jr. and like these new uh, secondary pieces that are coming in that we weren't able to see much of last year or the rookies this year. If a lot of them hit, like this could be a really good defense because they still have Daniil Hunter and, and Marcus Davenport on the front, and then they'll have a pretty good secondary to to close things off the bottom. But then if a lot of them don't end up playing well, and, and maybe they they don't do as well as their draft status or their their projections were, then this defense is, is going to be really hard. And it's going to take a lot of scheming from Flores to to make them um, you know serviceable on on that end. So I think that's like those are like really the two big things that are are giving them like a very wide range of outcomes. 
I think that Flores is going to have to get into uh, his bag, as the youths say, and uh, try to come up with every blitz that he's got to help them. But uh, you're exactly right that sometimes we think we know, like, oh, well, these unproven secondary guys, and then sometimes we don't. Like, I guess we would have thought that Kansas City last year was overhauling their defense and their secondary, and they were going to struggle. And then, you know, they got a really good performance from Trent McDuffie, and it kind of swung the tides. So that can happen. Uh, Before we move on to some of the other, uh, how was I phrasing this, predictions I think nerds are making, um, what what do you think of just like what what Kwesi Adafo-Mensa has done here? It's a pretty consistent debate with Vikings fans of whether Kwesi knows what he's doing or not. And uh, I have uh, been on the side that overall you can nitpick some things, but the direction is the right one that they had to take for this offseason. But as a... um, as a, you know, he's an analytics based GM is kind of what we call him. You're on the analytics side. How have you viewed what he's done this offseason? Yeah, you know, you know that I do have bias when it came to Kwesi getting hired, but I'll try to be objective here when I talk about his moves. I think Kwesi was given a tough task because he had to win games while also retooling the roster, which is like a, a thing that you don't often see from GMs. And so he's, he's, he's tried to do that well with, with some of the, the additions that they've made and like the, getting off to that 13 and three record last year where they ended up winning the division um, was, was pretty big, I think for kind of him and, and Kevin O'Connell's leash and like the length of the leash that they were getting um, based on their, their 10 years with the Vikings so far. And so I, I think he's done that well, but I think like Brad Spielberger put it really well on, on Twitter um, a couple weeks ago where he's saying that any player that Kwesi doesn't see contributing to the roster in 2024, he was really getting rid of at the end of the day. And that's why I think a lot of the moves that the Vikings made, like the Dalvin Cook one or, or trading Zadarius Smith was based on on that kind of progression. So I think like even he expects the, the roster to step back in, in 2023 and, and the results to be a little bit worse in 2023 than they were the year before. But he really wants to get ready for 2024 and, and making sure they're competitive then. The biggest pro football contest in Las Vegas is back again for its fifth year with 14 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. Enter in Vegas, play from anywhere with two ways to win and no rake. Play the million pro football contest with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. Pick a winner with the Survivor Contest, select one team each week with no point spread, get your share of $14 million in guaranteed prizes. Visit CircusSports.com today for details. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's been a true competitive rebuild, which is, as you mentioned, very hard to do. Uh, Not easy to kind of thread that needle because most teams are kind of rising and falling all the time. And they uh, last year kind of caught lightning in a bottle, which really does give him a lot of leeway, I think, uh, from having his first season go so well with 13 wins. And you really think about it. I mean, if they got one more against the Giants, if there's just one more drive there against the Giants and then they win the game, they go to Philadelphia and lose. Okay, Philadelphia went to the Super Bowl. I think there even would have been more, uh, I guess, attention to how well they handled all of that. And then still, but you have to give credit for not overreacting to that 13 wins and, and, and saying like, okay, I know that we did that, but we're not going to run it back, which is a, a thing you usually don't see uh, in the NFL. So anyway, let's, let's get into some of these other predictions that I think the analytics people are making. Um, we talked about the Vikings and point differential and regression. How about the New York Giants though? Brian Dable, strangely to me, got 
coach of the year last year. Almost like, hey, wow, you got Daniel Jones to look like a decent quarterback. <laughs> coach of the year, you must be. Uh, I thought they were a very average team. And that wild card game was between two kind of paper tigers uh, between the Vikings and Giants. And I think this year they're going to get hit in the face a little bit with regression. What do you think? I'm with you as well. I, I do think that regression is is coming for the the Giants also. Again, like talking going back to the Pythagorean win percentage we talked about earlier, they were at 48 percent uh, Pythagorean win percentage last year, 55 percent actual win percentage. So some regression is definitely expected there as well. And then their their win total, which we know is a, a really good predictor of uh, success in the season, is seven and a half. So you know considerably lower than what they ended up as last year, but also showing that that the market does see improvement. Um, from where they were at this point last year to, to now, basically, which is nice. And I think adding Darren Waller, Paris Campbell, um, you know, John Michael Schmitz, uh, who, whose agent uh, we, we know is pretty good, um, and, and adding to that offense, I think, can help them like make sure that they're not regressing super hard uh, from like a production standpoint. But again, like the, the one score luck and um, kind of what they, the easy, easy schedule that they had last year, they're probably not going to get all of that going for them this year, which is going to make it a little tougher to, to get back into that, that wild card spot. John Michael Schmidt's agent, by the way, Jeremiah Searles, who is on the show uh, all the time. So that's that's who you're referring to. Uh, we're not we're not in the bed with the agents here on the show um, page. Just just Jeremiah and his offensive line bias. But yeah, you know, I, I guess the the weird thing is to try to project Daniel Jones because he really did not have an impressive group of weapons, and he ran a lot, which I think he can do. And I think quarterback running year to year is pretty stable. He could improve from the passing part of his game. Uh, with uh, better weapons and the offensive line being built up. But you've also got the Saquon drama that's going on that I think could hang over them. I'm not impressed by anything that they have on the defensive side. And another element is I think that that division is just going to be really hard. Philadelphia will be good again. I I've got Dallas being a really good team. I, I thought they made some good moves in the offseason. No one ever wants to talk about Dallas because everyone talks about Dallas on TV all the time. And Washington, if Sam Howell is not a disaster, will be the biggest upgrade uh, at quarterback over the last, I don't know how many years they've had just totally disastrous quarterback play. So if there's even something there, that I think that could play into the Giants dropping back a little. I, I definitely agree with that. I think like when you look at who the Giants got to play last year and when they they got to play the the Cooper Rush game uh, against the Cowboys, where, where they were able to to win that one, and then they were able to yeah play a, a weaker Commanders team than I think there there probably are this year because the Commanders you're going to get more snaps out of Chase Young this year than than you did last year probably, um, and then you you added two corners in, in your with your first two picks in the draft to them, and then. Yeah, like you said, it, in football, you know, you never want to say uh, it can't get worse because we know that it, it can. Um, but like Sam Howell, it's, it would hard for, it would be hard for him to be worse than uh, it was for for the the Commanders last year. And then yeah, if, if anything, like the Eagles stayed relatively the same, or or maybe got a little bit worse, but are still a, a very good team. And we know match up well against the Giants based on their three matchups last year. And then the Cowboys as well, like you mentioned, like very, very good team this year, added added a lot of the pieces that, that were filling their holes this year. So that division is going to be really tough. It's it's definitely the toughest division in the NFC, which kind of puts the Giants at a disadvantage. If if they were in the NFC North, for example, I could see them their win total being like eight and a half uh, because they they should be able to to take advantage of some weaker teams there. But it, it all, all four of those teams in the division are playoff worthy, which I think is going to make it tough. 
All right, let's talk about one that uh, former Purple Insider analytics intern Haley English was very, very into this take. Justin Fields is going to be bad. I think the numbers point to that, or at least uh, her interpretation, and we know she knows what she's doing, was that Justin Fields uh, is not going to get better. If you're in Chicago, you're certainly arguing that the addition of a very good wide receiver is going to help improvement on the offensive line, just a better team who's actually trying to win this year rather than mostly tanking and that he showed a lot of flashes in the second half of the season. They also lost a lot of one score games. Chicago did, uh, which is worth bringing up as well. They should be better, but what about Justin Fields? Can we glean from the numbers that were produced under some very hideous circumstances last year? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Haley, Haley English now at the Lions had, had a lot of great data points on Justin Fields and, and his passing ability and, and really like was eye opening to me as even as someone who, who kind of was looking at Justin Fields uh, lack of passing production. But like once I saw how he performed against perfectly covered plays and, and not doing well against that versus non perfectly covered plays where he also wasn't ranking very highly in those was interesting. And, and what I what I kind of looked at was he had basically the exact same EPA added from rushing as he lost from passing last year, which put him at about zero total EPA on the season, which was which was 22nd in the league. And so for me, it comes from he had 10 plus he had 10 rushes of 20 plus yards last year between six scrambles and, and four design carries. If he's able to replicate that, then at least he gets the base of having that rushing EPA put him out to about a, a you know pretty high level relative to most quarterbacks that can't rush like he can. So all his passing would have to do is is increase uh, by enough where it's not completely offsetting his rushing. And the, the addition of DJ Moore could help that. But then again, like we know a lot about a quarterback's passing ability once they've played at least two seasons in the league. Josh Allen is really the main exception to this rule. But for every Josh Allen, there's a Sam Darnold and and there's there's so many other examples of quarterbacks passing ability staying stable after two seasons in the NFL. And so I would expect that to stay stable for Justin Fields while his rushing might regress a little bit because it's hard to chain together an explosive rush almost every week. And so when you when you kind of put that all together, I could see a, a situation where his passing doesn't come up to the level that he wants it to, and then his his rushing is stays at the same level or even regresses a little bit, and we don't see his production rise as much as as the Bears fans are expecting it to. I remember looking at this uh, actually years ago, if you remember C.J. Spiller, and he had this crazy run with the Buffalo Bills where he was just, I don't know, averaging like six yards a carry or something. And I went and looked and it was a ton of explosive plays. And then I looked at explosive plays year to year. They're very hard to predict. That's why sometimes we see a running back average five and a half yards a carry or four and a half yards a carry might be the difference between does he get a 75 yard touchdown or not, or a couple of those where they're defensive breakdowns, or maybe it's just some ungodly play that he makes. That's really hard to repeat time after time. I mean, if Justin Fields is going to be good he's got to throw the football uh we have so many metrics for quarterbacks like exactly one hundred thousand different metrics what do you like like what what would tell me if you're if you're doing this problem trying to decide if justin fields is going to go forth and, and be a good player what's your what's your quarterback metric that you think is kind of predictive mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd I really always use expected points added first when when looking at this kind of stuff. And so for Justin Fields' standpoint, I I looked at recently, like each 
a quarterback that makes a leap. Like, so quarterbacks that were either negative in total EPA the season before or barely positive that ended up playing at like an MVP level. And so an MVP level of, of uh, total EPA from a quarterback is like anything a hundred and above basically. And so like Jalen hurts last year went from 58 the season before to 110. So he was last year's leap quarterback, Joe Burrow, the, the year before going from 44 to 107. And so if Justin Fields is able to hit that like a hundred total EPA mark, uh, you know, me and, and Haley and others will, will definitely eat crow and, and, and admit that we, we didn't see it coming for him. But like, I think the interesting thing is, so Jalen hurts, uh, you know, obviously improved last year as a passer, but also the addition of AJ Brown helped. Joe Burrow obviously improved uh, those between those two seasons. The addition of Jamar Chase helped. DJ Moore is a good receiver. I don't know if he's at the level of Jamar Chase and AJ Brown. So I think that addition will definitely help Justin Fields' passing, but maybe not to the level that it did for the other leap quarterbacks. Well, since we mentioned Haley, the next one on my list, uh, I'll just tell her to turn off the podcast if she's listening. Aaron Rodgers won't be all that good in New York. I think that the analytics people would look at the Aaron Rodgers in New York thing and go, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be as great as they think it's going to be based on what Rodgers did last season, based on his age. And sometimes when a team hits its peak, if you have a quarterback injury or your quarterback is bad, that doesn't necessarily mean you could just drop anybody in the next season because so much changes. We know all about that here from 2017 to 2018. Uh, but I don't know that for sure because Aaron Rodgers certainly has a great history of being a quarterback. So uh, what, what do you feel like the numbers say about that situation? Yeah, I, I, this is the, probably the one that I don't feel the strongest about out of the ones we talked about so far because of, of a couple of reasons. So one, I think we've seen Aaron Rodgers do this before where he played at an above average but not elite level in 2018, 2019, and then 2020, 2021 MVP levels. And then he, he kind of regressed again in, in 2022 back to an above average level, but not not an elite level that we're used to seeing from him. So that that bounce back potential is there for him. Obviously, there's there's less of a chance to do it since he's older in age and, and changing situations. But I think, I think the other thing about Aaron Rodgers, and this is more of a non-analytical reason, is I think there is something to leaving an organization that you feel like didn't support you to one where they, they traded draft picks and they made sure that your contract carried over. And he will probably just feel like he's more included in the Jets organization this season and will probably play better. There was, there was a pretty clear disconnect between Rodgers and either the Packers organization or Matt LaFleur or even both last year that he gets Nathaniel Hackett as his offense coordinator who, who he's really tight with and we knew had success in, in Green Bay together as well as just an overall like ability with, with Garrett Wilson and everything else the Jets have to offer him that I think could be able to help him this season. Yeah, I mean, the Garrett Wilson factor just cannot be understated. Uh, what we saw from him last year in, in person, seeing him dominate the Vikings. And I, yeah, I know it's a Vikings defense that wasn't that great, but he had an amazing game with Mike White as his quarterback, who he mm -hmm. somehow made competitive. And I, I mean, I think that he could be, you know, 100 catch, 1,200, 1,300 yard type of wide receiver with Aaron Rodgers, who has generally picked one guy he loves and then thrown him the ball all the time, which is a pretty good strategy 
strategy, actually, and it worked really well for Jordy Nelson and for uh, Devontae Adams. So I could see that perspective, but I could also look at it and look at his age, look at the number of weird stuff he's put in his body, and uh, he just, I mean, he does not look like he has the same, is it like flexibility or quickness mm -hmm. or, you know, there's a lot of throw the ball out of bounds if he doesn't like what he sees as opposed to creating plays like he used to back in the day. And, and he's still really good. I mean, he throttled the Vikings when they went down uh, to Lambeau at the end of the season. So I, I'm not saying that Aaron doesn't have anything left, but I also think that there have been situations where, you know, a team trades for a guy at the end of his career or thinks that they're going to kind of, you know, get that last squeeze of whatever's left and it's not, it's just not really there. So I, I guess I don't know. I think that's a really hard thing to factor because we just don't have a, a big sample size of dudes who are in their forties going to different teams outside of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning winning with their teams in uh, Denver and Tampa Bay. Yeah. And that's the really tough part, right? Like you can look at the success, success stories of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, but then there's also these kind of Russell Wilson type stories where he's not he wasn't as old but it was still like kind of my argument about moving organizations to one that you feel like supports you like Russell Wilson definitely would have fit that mold last year but it didn't end up working out for a variety of reasons right so and and when I looked at the numbers today we we have projections um at, at Sumer Sports here for a lot of counting statistics um and it factors in age and, and what they did last year and what their career has been and and a lot of stuff like that and we have Aaron Rodgers projected with the the ninth most passing yards the 11th most passing touchdowns and for the fantasy players out there he is our QB 14 um, and I, I know he's going about QB 17 and in, in those fantasy drafts so I think that's like a kind of good gauge for what to expect from him this year where he's going to be like a fringe top 10 quarterback when it comes to a lot of these metrics which which is what I think I would expect let me run through a, a couple of hot ones in a second but just how would you project right now how the uh, NFC North ends up playing out like what's what's your order because I'm still laughing about a question I got a couple of weeks ago where someone asked if all the teams could go eight and nine or nine and eight and I, I was like no that couldn't well <laughs> you know maybe it, maybe it actually could how, how do you think that will play out yeah no I I really like that question I've I've had that line of thinking as well and and like even like when you look at the quarterbacks, like I could see like by the end of the season, if you gave me a list of the quarterbacks in the division in any order from one to four, one through four, I wouldn't be shocked. Like if Jordan Love was number one, just since we know nothing about him, I wouldn't necessarily be be shocked at that or maybe Fields makes the leap as well. So I think there's just so many different scenarios for how the NFC North will unfold. But if I had to kind of just pick how I think it'll go. I do think the Lions have the best roster and the best play caller in Ben Johnson. So I would put them number one. I would put the Vikings number two because I think that their mean outcome is going to be higher than the Packers mean outcome, even though the Packers have probably a wider range of outcomes because we still know nothing about Jordan Love. So Vikings two, Packers three. And then I just don't trust the Bears defense enough, even if their offense makes a big jump The we, you know, the both of us could be second string Bears defensive linemen this year, I think, if, if they called upon us. So I would I would put them fourth in the division. Yeah, they had several guys that the Vikings had cut on their defense that were uh, playing for them last year. Like if the Vikings cut you on their defense, <laughs> uh, that's probably not a good sign. So let's let's just rapid fire through some of these other ones um, that I think that is, is this weird to think that the Cowboys will be very good, but also miss 
Kellen Moore. Well, I guess this is more of the what the, I think the analytics people think as opposed to uh, my opinion. I think the Cowboys are still going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that analytics people think that they're going to miss Kellen Moore a ton and that the Chargers are going to love Kellen Moore. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you as well. We're like every time I get really excited about the Cowboys roster and like all the holes that they filled this offseason, what they had last year, like someone needs to remind me that Mike McCarthy is calling the plays for them and not Kellen Moore anymore, because I think Kellen Moore is, is a really good play caller. Last season, the, the Cowboys had a 0.06 EPA per play with Dak Prescott and a negative 0.2 with Cooper Rush. So they were the seventh best offense in the league with Dak Prescott, which is, you know, very, very uh, fair. And, and what you'd expect with a quarterback of his level. But then they were the 21st best offense with a backup quarterback. So even though that a lot of other teams got to have their starting quarterback for more of the season than the Cowboys did, Kellen Moore still made it work with a backup quarterback like Cooper Rush, which I think is is like the really exciting thing for Chargers fans and why I think he'll, he'll do well there. And the big complaint about the Chargers offense last year was it was a very low average depth of target offense with Justin Herbert, who is, is supposed to be airing the, the ball down the field. And Patrick Mahomes also had a low average at the target. The 49ers quarterbacks also had that. So the best passing offenses can still be built off low average at the target. They just need to have routes with yak uh, opportunities built in them. And the Chargers routes didn't have that. It was a lot of stop and sit routes at the first down marker, where I think Kellen Moore will do a better job of making sure that court, that receivers are catching the ball in the middle of the field with space to turn upfield to do that. And so that's why I think that Kellen Moore will will do pretty well with the Chargers and, and what they have to offer at receiver with adding Quinton Johnson to an already pretty good group. Yeah, there's part of that, too, that is circumstance for everything. Uh, I don't know that they had a really good offensive strategy there, but their offensive line got really banged up last year, mm-hmm. and they probably wanted to throw a lot of the quicker passes because of that. And I'm I'm not sure that they had guys who run after catch. Like, Mike Williams isn't really a run-after-catch guy. Quentin Johnston is specifically, like, that is his thing. Um, so I, I think that we could get to the end of the year and go, see, it was Kellen Moore all along uh, when it might have just been circumstance and they blocked better or there might be an element of Justin Herbert that just likes to check down. And that is a thing. And I won't uh, talk about what that means for, you know, the Vikings or uh, their quarterback's reputation in comparison. But I, I did make the Justin Kirkbert joke about him <laughs> checking down all the time uh, last year. How, how about this? The 49ers defense will not carry them the way that it did last year. I think that analytics people would like that take. Uh, they lost their defensive coordinator uh, they had the MVP last year. Hard to repeat MVP performances. Uh, do folks in the analytics community think there is regression on the way for the 49ers defense? I definitely think that can be expected. Adding Hardgrave is is going to help offset some of that. I think, which which is was a good move from their standpoint. But defense is just, is just so much less stable year to year than offense, which which makes intuitive sense. You have the quarterback on offense that can control a lot of your production, but there's no quarterback of the defense that can do that on that side of the ball. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I see it as a, a tougher path for the 49ers to have the number one defense again this year, just because of circumstance. Like you mentioned, like you're, you're, going to play maybe a harder schedule this year. You're not going to have as good of injury luck as you had the year before. And then we'll have D'Amico Ryans, I thought was a fantastic defensive coordinator last year, what he was able to do with, with uh, the personnel provided to him and designing that defense. And so moving on from him is is always going to make things tougher and, and give it more uncertainty. 
Yeah, that 49ers team is one that we just sort of assume is going to be really good because they usually are. And I just, I don't know, man. I like the Brock Purdy. He's coming off the injury. He's also still Brock Purdy. And I think there's a higher bar when you're drafted where he was to prove that it's not just small sample size, Case Keenum style, uh, you know, good situation and a little bit of randomness and a pop up quarterback that we've seen many times. They've got a very messy situation there. And, uh, you know, I also think that, you know, some teams in their division are really bad, like Arizona, but Seattle is pretty good and they could be coming for him there. So I, I, that one might be where they do drift back a little bit. Uh, the last one I wrote down is that teams that didn't draft these wide receivers are going to regret it. Um, I think that's a take that analytics people would say. And I also just looking at the draft the other day when I was making these predictions for this year, I was making 50 predictions. I was like, I just can't believe that some of the positions that these teams took and left these talented wide receivers sitting there on the table. I think that teams still have in their minds like, well, I mean, Jordan Addison's just not a top 10 overall prospect as opposed to in this draft, considering his positional value, he's probably worth taking there. And it doesn't have to apply to him. It can apply to any of these guys. Jackson Smith and the Jigba is a really good prospect. And if he hits, he's fantastic and he's super worth it. If B. John Robinson hits, he has to be Adrian Peterson in order for it to be worth it. I think that th that formula is going to show itself pretty quickly this season. Yeah, it's it's everything we talked about at the combine uh, before the draft, where it's the surplus value of the draft, and, and that's like the the outcome or the the goal outcome for these teams is maximizing the surplus value you can get in. Yeah, so for the for the Falcons specifically, taking Bijan Robinson at number eight overall, I'm sure he's gonna. I mean, he's a great, fantastic prospect. He's gonna add value to their offense this year, and he, he's gonna perform well. I'm sure, but it, it's the opportunity cost of what you gave up, where you're now going into the season with Drake London as your wide receiver one, but Mac Collins and Scotty Miller as your as your second and third wide receivers. So maybe you just you throw out a lot of of. 20 personnel, 21 personnel uh, with B. John Robinson and Tyler Algier or, or Cordell Patterson out there to, to try to overcome that. But just not having that true third receiving option behind London and Pitts is, is going to make it tougher for the Falcons this year. And then from the Lions' perspective, your first six games are without Jameson Williams. Uh, you don't have TJ Hawkinson anymore, and you have either Brock Wright or rookie tight end and Sam Laporta as your second receiving option behind Amon Ross St. Brown. So maybe Jameer Gibbs can fill in that role for you, but you might have also been better off taking a Jackson Smith, the Jigba, or, or a wide receiver of that type to add add the value from that perspective. Because I, I do think that eventually the Lions might have to realize that that the third receiving option is a hole that that could be in their roster eventually. Yeah, and if St. Brown gets hurt for any amount of time, I mean, you're kind of in trouble there. Mm -hmm. And we don't even know if Jamison Williams can actually play or not. I mean, yes. uh, I... I was in the camp that the Vikings probably should have picked him, but it's no guarantee that he's just going to come in after that six game suspension for whatever level of gambling that he did uh, and not knowing the rules. Uh, but it's not a sure thing that he just comes in and is great right away and takes him to the next level. And you mentioned the rookie tight end. There's a lot of history that says those guys struggle uh, no mm -hmm. matter where you pick them. If it's a top five pick or if it's a, you know, whatever, it, there's not a lot of rookie tight ends who have made impacts right away. So I think that those teams will very quickly regret not taking the wide receivers as they 
look elsewhere and see a Smith the Jigba or a Quentin Johnston or a Jordan Addison or Zay Flowers stepping up. If even one of them is really, really good, those teams should look at themselves and go, ah, that was probably uh, a mistake. Okay, let's end on this, Tej. I want you to give me the analytics take that the football world at large would not like for this year. So the you know NFL lives or NFL networks of the world where you got four former players and they're talking about ball in a very football-y way. If the, if the analytics person came up and said, well, actually, gentlemen, it's like this this year, uh, what would that be? So are you saying what, what's the thing that could happen that would make analytics people kind of regret saying a lot of these things over the summer? Well, I, I guess I was thinking the most like anti-mainstream, but it's analytically defendable. You know what I mean? So like just for for uh, that 2020 Steelers team, that mm-hmm. was uh, Eric Eager and George talking every week about how that Steelers team was kind of fraudulent and everything else. And the outside world, the players, the analysts, they were all like, no, they're winning all these games. They're a great team. You guys don't know what you're talking about. And eventually it came to fruition that they were kind of fraudulent. So I guess I was thinking like a, a an analytics take that kind of conflicts with the mainstream. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really, really interesting ones this year. Um, but like, I think the main one that like people are, are starting to do again is, and, and this has happened a lot of times is a lot of people are starting to put Joe Burrow and like the Cincinnati Bengals as like the clear second best team in the AFC. And then Joe Burrow is the clear second best quarterback in the NFL. When I think a lot of analytical people will tell you, like this time last year, the Buffalo Bills were preseason favorites to win the Super Bowl. They Josh Allen was preseason favorite to win the MVP. Allen went out was was having a really good year until his elbow got hurt, and then they played the Bengals in the playoff game and were five and a half point favorites. So the betting market showed them a lot of respect, but ended up really getting blown out in that game. And the recency bias on the the Bengals right now uh, over the Bills is really strong when I don't think you can say for certain which team is better than than which but I think like based on most rankings I've seen from from NFL Network and from ESPN like have the Bengals ahead of the Bills but I, I think that the Bills could be very very good this year. I don't think that takes nearly hot enough. I mean, that's like a that's like a four out of ten, I would say, for like analytical hot take. Although I uh, I picked the Bengals uh, as the Super Bowl winner for this year, so maybe you're you're going against that a little bit. But it is funny though, Tage, because in our world now we have so much access to the numbers. You guys put out such great work. PFF puts out such great work that it sort of permeates everyone's opinion, right? It, it permeates the 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 betting markets. The NFL live shows like, you know, they have analysts on there who know the numbers and things like that. So it's harder than it used to be, like maybe even five, seven years ago to come up with an obvious, oh, the analytics are telling us this, but the mainstream is saying that. Yeah. And OK, so I'll, I'll do one hotter then um, that, I, that I've gotten pushed back on, on Twitter before for saying that this is not, I don't think, a representation of all analytics people, but uh, me and like a couple other people I know are, are really big believers in this is the Cleveland Browns. I think are like not being talked about at all as like, I think they're even possible Super Bowl contenders. They were two and six in one score games last year. 
uh, if you get you already have this this really good roster, top offensive line. You traded for Elijah Moore. You added him to a, a pretty decent group of receiving options. Uh, Nick Chubb, I think, is still the best running back in the NFL. And their defense just keeps getting better every year. They they obviously made the trade with the Vikings for Rosario Smith, and they they really added Dalvin Tomlinson and into their defensive line, and and they they should expect that. So really, all you need is. Deshaun Watson to be 80% of what he was two two years ago. And you're looking at a, a very, very good team. They they play in a really tough conference and a tough division, which I think will hold them back a little bit. But like I think from a pure team standpoint, the Browns are a top 10 team in the NFL right now. Um, and it, it, it might not work out because of, of the the schedule and stuff, but I think like if you were to put them in the NFC, they they would they would be Super Bowl contenders. Okay, that's much hotter. That is definitely much hotter. And also goes against my 50 bold predictions, which I predicted Kevin Stefanski will be fired at the end of the year. Okay. Um, because I think I think that you're absolutely right about their roster and that their expectations are super high and that Deshaun Watson's not going to be good and it will fall on the shoulders of Stefanski because that's how football works. So uh, anyway, well, Tej, uh, you are one of my favorite Sumer Sports uh, you're on the Sumer Sports show regularly. I'm sure everyone already follows you, Tage Seth, on Twitter. Is it or was it Tage Analytics on Twitter? Yeah, it's it's Tage FB Analytics. Okay, Tage FB Analytics on Twitter. Make sure you go follow. You are a tremendous follow, uh, as many people know. So thanks again for your time, man. Really uh, enjoyed getting together with you, and we will definitely do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks again for having me. This is this is always a lot of fun, and, and looking forward to the next one.